How much morality do you want in your sports? We'll discuss this week on Iceman and Coach. That's right, everybody. Welcome back to the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. It's Matty Ice, the Iceman here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you are coming into this show rested and ready for some fire sports content. As always, Coach, great to have you back. How was your Thanksgiving, my man? Iceman had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, got to enjoy two separate ones, a little one at home with uh, you know, my immediate family, and then got to my mom's house and visited with some extended family over the weekend. And it was very enjoyable, very pleasant. Unfortunately, while I was at my mom's Saturday evening, I had the displeasure of taking in the Notre Dame loss. But overall, the holiday was really nice, and it was great to get together with some family. How about yourself? Oh, it was wonderful. Now, we will get to USC and Notre Dame a little bit later. So we'll put that on the back burner for now. Not that we want to torture you through the rest of the episode, but we have to get to it eventually. But you did say something on Thanksgiving that I wanted to talk, to talk about because I said something very casually. I said that our bird was juicy. It was perfect. And you came at me in a way that was very combative. It was very defensive. And you wanted to fight over whether my bird was perfect. I didn't claim that my bird was perfect for any anybody else but myself. I love a good turkey. It's one of the most disappointing feelings in the world when you go to somebody's house and the turkey is dry. I was just happy that after cooking for an hour longer than I thought it should, that there were still juices to be had. When did I come at you about your turkey? Don't make me go into the text messages <laughs> and read it on the air for everybody. All I recall saying was, I need some of this bird so I can make the determination myself. It's really funny about birds, though, because there has been this, and th this is actually the way that it is in the world now, is everybody wants to overcomplicate things. I don't know how your wife does it. I know for me, I learned from my mom, and my mom learned from her mom, and so on and so forth. And the only thing that we do to our bird is we baste. That's it. I do not do anything else. I salt and pepper and I baste, 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 baste. That's it. The turkey does all the work for itself. A lot of people like to brine. They like to rub stuff under the skin. No, 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 I don't do any of that. And every time it works, not like in Anchorman where it works 60% of the time, every time it works. So I'm a tried and true guy. And maybe that's showing my age now that I'm going to be 40, but that's just me. Like, did your wife do anything special with it? Does she get all caught up in the food network aspect of cooking the turkey? So I would say traditionally, I've definitely had the majority of turkey I've eaten in my lifetime has been your way. Very simple, salt, pepper, basted, no fancy frills, right? This year, the wife tried a, a, a dry salt brine and just left it overnight, rubbed salt on it, left it overnight, threw it in the oven the next day. I tell you what, you could taste the salt, but it was like delicious, man. It was really, really, really good. And it was cooked perfectly, which I'm sure helped, but it was fantastic. I mean, and it sounded like it was pretty, I wasn't there when she did it. It sounded like it was pretty effortless as far as the work she put in and getting it ready to go. I feel like wives always say that. And then at some point in like six months or a year, she's gonna bring up the fact that I had to do so much on Thanksgiving and you weren't even here for it. Just you wait, man. Oh, I know, man. I know, I've, I've but I'm keeping, uh, or I should say she's keeping a receipt on that one, I'm sure. Just like Robert Sala and the Jets. But before we get into the sports, you and I had an interesting aside offline yesterday, actually, I think it was yesterday. And we really can't get into it in text message because there's just, there, there's not enough runway for that. Like I can't sit there and type all that stuff out. You're a busy guy, I'm a busy guy. But we reacted to the news of Hugh Freeze being the new Auburn coach, which is ironic because last week we had Kiffin and the boys already there at the student union doing all that stuff. And many things changed. And one of the things I said last week, I believe, was that he was doubling down on the fact that he wasn't going there. And in retrospect, he was doing that to basically jump his own price with Ole Miss because he stayed there. Hugh Freeze was once a very tarnished coach at Ole Miss, ironically. So the two are sort of connected in that way. And he went to Liberty, which is one of the most conservative institutions in the entire country. And with everything that he had that took place before, it was an interesting hire for them. He basically has reestablished himself as a winning coach, and now he's at Auburn. And I asked you a very pointed question. 
do you have an issue with something like this as a fan? And I think the the example that I gave you was if Bradley said we're hiring Rick Pitino, who's had just a litany of issues, how would you feel about that? And I wanted to kind of open it up here to see if maybe we could get a little dialogue going because I think it's not a very clear black and white answer. No, it's not a black and white answer, which is right up my alley. On the surface, to answer your question, I would not be in support of a Rick Pitino to Bradley hiring because, as I said in our text message, I think that at the college level where you know, it is under the guise of being student athletes, academics first. Uh, that's the place where young men and women get molded into successful human beings for the rest of their lives, you know, educationally, spiritually, psychologically, and all the things that come along with it. And a coach at that level can have a lot to do with that process. And I think if that's going to be part of your message as an institution, then you need to have someone who embodies that themselves and carries themselves in a way that presents a good example to these young men and women of how to be a, a person of integrity and high character. That being said, I'm sure we could go down a, a long list of coaches and high profile coaches who have not embodied uh, those qualities. But I don't I mean, there's no doubt the guy can coach football uh, for sure. I think he'll probably win a lot of football games at Auburn. But I, I completely understand the pushback and why people would have a problem with it. But they should have equally had a problem with it when he got hired at Liberty, too. And maybe there was some uh, buzz about it then I don't necessarily recall but no I, I at the college level man uh, just in general as a person I'm an integrity and character kind of guy those things are important to me and I think at the college level those things still carry weight and so I would err on the side of character. I think you and I are caught in a juxtaposition of how old we are and having seen what college football was before. And you talked about the guise of amateurism, the guise of non-professional football or any collegiate sport, really. But basketball and football are the ones we're really talking about here because we don't hear generally about hires like this with baseball or these non-revenue generating sports. You and I remember what it was like when amateurism mattered, when a guy like Bobby Bowden actually did make boys into men, where he did take them into his auspices to essentially take care of them and be almost a father figure to them. That is long gone. And I think you and I struggle with letting go of that paradigm a little bit. And so when Hugh Freeze gets hired, we look at what happened to him before and we think to ourselves, man, I just don't understand how they could make this kind of hire. But in today's world, it is not, it's semi-pro now. It's not really amateur in a lot of ways. Now, the football play that we see in a lot of games is amateur, but at the levels that we're talking about, Auburn cares only about winning football games. Ohio State wouldn't have let go of Urban Meyer if they could have held on to him. No matter what happened at the school, it just became too untenable from an optics perspective. And I thought about it overnight last night and today, and I guess if I'm somebody at Auburn, if I'm a fan, I may have individual qualms about this, but as a whole, that fan base is very happy because, as you pointed out, the only thing that matters is if he wins football games. They will love him forever if he beats Alabama and wins a national championship. I think that that's just the way that it is. I mean, Tommy Tuberville was the coach there forever. He's a little bit crazy now, but they would welcome him back with open arms. And I think that's really what it comes down to is you and I are just stuck in the middle of longing for the old days when it actually was amateur. No, you're right. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there at the end, talking about winning and success. It's really fascinating how much winning covers up stuff like this, right? And I think that's what you're going to see here most likely is he's going to have success and everyone's going to forget about this, you know, a year or two from now, it'll be like, hey, you remember when everybody was mad that uh, Auburn hired Hugh Freeze? And I'm like, ah, whatever, He's uh, he just won the SEC, so who cares? No, you're right. Uh, college sports these days, especially Power 5 football and high caliber basketball. It's big money, man. There's a lot of money at stake and winning matters. Um, it, it's more semi-pro than amateurism. You're 100% correct. And, and I believe, and I think you agree with this based off what you've said in private conversations with, that we've had, we believe everybody deserves a second chance, right? I believe people deserve a second chance. And, you know, I'm a flawed person myself, you know, and I would hate for a, a mistake or a series of minor mistakes, whatever the case would be, to you know, prevent me from getting a, a future opportunity to right the wrongs or get myself back on track, whatever, however you want to present it. So from a human being perspective, I think the guy deserves a second chance. Let him you know, give him an opportunity to uh, succeed from a kind of a fan and what I think a college football program and coach should be. I've got some some trepidation, but that's more like you said, maybe a little old man get off my lawn stuff than it is reality. 
I think we're just the kind of people that find it difficult to look past some of the things that happen. And we care deeply about the schools that we like and represent. And it matters when they make a hire. Like I think I used the example, if Virginia Tech wanted to hire Art Bryles, I would be 100% against it, no matter how many football games he won, but that's not everybody. But the interesting part about this is it gives us something to root for. I'm actually rooting for Lane Kiffin so hard next year because he can take out Brian Kelly and he can take out Hugh Freeze and Nick Saban. I mean, imagine if Ole Miss actually won the SEC. It would make for a lot of fun. Now, the other aspect of this is when all these coaches and this carousel is going round and round, I think the losers a lot of times are the students because the transfer portal stuff, it's different than it used to be, but it is still limiting. Coaches can go wherever they want and they have to make the jump so that they can get on recruiting. I know that the kids at Liberty seem like they gave up on Hugh Freeze with all the rumors swirling around, but a guy talking about morality who was handling this so much better is Deion Sanders. And we've talked about Deion before and he's doing wonderful things at Jackson State. He's being courted by a lot of schools, no doubt. He has confirmed that Colorado has offered him the head coaching job. And it's funny because a reporter asked him, like, is this getting to your head? And he said, I've been prime time for a long time, baby. Like, that's exactly what he said. And I thought that was wonderful. And I like his transparency. Yes, I'm being courted. Yes, I've been offered. But I'm really dedicated to these kids and this mission. And I just like that. And I know that it's hard for these coaches to come out and say, yeah, I'm considering this. But He's actually being transparent, and I think that that furthers that relationship with the kids that he's coaching right now. Even if he ends up leaving, I think that a lot of kids are going to want to play for him if he goes somewhere else. No, I think you're right, and I love me some Coach Prime. Uh, I love the videos of him talking to his team and the way he handles the, his team, the way he, uh, he he embodies kind of that thing we're talking about, man. I watch him talk to his team, and maybe it's for the camera, but he's teaching them. He's coaching them on character and integrity and, and how to carry yourself as a young man. You know, he, he's trying to build men that are going to be, you know, future leaders and fathers and husbands. And and like I said, maybe it's all just lip service for the camera, but I like, I like it, man. I like what I see. And I do think that there will come a time when he, uh, the right job, the right place opens up. I, I think he would leave, but he's not going to jump at any opportunity. He sure as hell, I don't think he's going to go to Colorado by any means. And uh, like he said, he's been prime time for a long time. He doesn't need some big time coaching job to, uh, be famous. He doesn't need the money. He's actually in it for the love of the game and the passion for what he is doing. And um, he's doing a great job at it. And how cool would it be, man, if, if you know, we're looking at this five, year, five years down the road, maybe, and he's really turned Jackson State into like a serious uh, player in the college football landscape, man, that would be fantastic. And I think with his recruiting ability, he maybe stands a chance to do that. I think you're right. I think they could be the next App State where they have a huge upset somewhere, whether it be at the big house, hopefully at a place like the Horseshoe. But I think that you're right about that. If he stays there, he has the opportunity to build something really special. Last thing on the morality front, I just have to mention it. I don't want to get into it. We've been down this road before, but he returns. Voldemort, Deshaun Watson returns, and he is playing the Houston Texans this week. The only thing I think of note is not that he's coming back, but apparently 10 of his accusers are going to be in the stands at the game. And I kind of like that in a show of solidarity because at the end of the day, no matter what happened with the NFL and no matter what happened in the court of law, I think we know that something did happen and these victims, they really need to have a little bit more of a shine put on them because I don't think they were able to really give their story in quite a public way. And it's nice that they're going to show solidarity there. I will be interested to see how the crowds handle him as he first comes out because he's going to be a little rusty. I'll be honest with you. I don't like this. Um, this is one of those deals. It's sort of uh, from a human being standpoint, I don't think Deshaun Watson should be on the field. If I'm trying to look at this objectively as an NFL franchise that uh, people's jobs are on the line, people's well-beings are on the line and tied to winning and success. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think that as a, a private business and who's chasing a mission uh, to be successful and generate money to win in this case, you know, character, although it would matter to me, I think in that situation, I don't necessarily... I, I have a hard time faulting them for having higher expectations because their expectation is, can you do the job or not? They don't care about anything else. That being said, as a human being, as me, as you know, Brad, the person, shame on the Browns. Uh, shame on them for putting his teammates in this position. Uh, shame on them for putting the victims even in this position to have to watch him uh, run out on the field after 
uh, everything that's taking place. Yeah, the, the Browns fans are going to welcome him with open arms. That is for sure. Now, if he starts losing a bunch of football games, things may change. But I think this particular week, they're probably going to come away with a W against the Houston Texans, who started Kyle Allen this week. For some ungodly reason, we need to see that all over again. But let's get into the NFL. So Thanksgiving, we did talk about the fact that the slate of games looked pretty good, and you and I were abysmally awful in picking those games. The only game that we got right was the Cowboys. Everything else was a sham. The game I wanted to start off with is the Lions. Now, we picked with our hearts last week, and we both picked Motor City Dan Campbell for the upset. And you know what, man? They were this close. For the listening audience, I'm doing that finger motion this close. They scored. They had the lead with 35 seconds to go, and the Buffalo Bills marched right down the field and got a game-winning field goal and losing in the most Lions fashion possible. I do not understand how this happens, and I don't think it's necessarily that the Bills escaped with the victory. They're going to want that. But man, the Lions, they they are just a snake bit organization. They cannot get out of their own way. This was a winnable game that they just, they 100% have to win this every time. No, absolutely. And they, it sucks that their defense struggles so much. They can score points, but they cannot stop anybody. And that's not good against a talented offense like the Bills have. And, and really, it seemed very apparent to me that Josh Allen, He's a little off. He's not himself. He's banged up. And but still, this is you know they were ripe, ripe for the beaten man. And the Lions had him where they wanted him and squandered it late, which was which was heartbreaking. But I don't think yeah we didn't pick the games correctly. Uh, not that we're in the moral victories here, but that was a close one. Uh, the Pats didn't get blown out. Wasn't that a one score game? That game was so frustrating, so frustrating because actually Mac Jones looked wonderful. That game they were going back and forth. The defense played well. The Vikings got away with a couple of things. They got away with a hold on that kickoff return for a touchdown that really changed the tide of the game. And then the Patriots responded to that by marching right down the field. Hunter Henry caught what we all thought was a touchdown pass. They did the review. And this is where I want to ask you. I feel like the NFL has overcomplicated what a catch is, especially around the end zone. If you're a running back and you have the ball, As soon as you break the plane, it just has to be the front of the plane. It's a touchdown, no matter what happens after that. If you're a receiver, you have to come down with it even after breaking the plane. And there's so many different rules. Well, the ball moved a little bit here and it moved a little bit there. It didn't touch the ground here. I feel like we're micro analyzing truly athletic plays that like literally 1% of people can make or less than 1% of people can make. And in this particular case, it cost the Patriots the game because they never could come back and get a feet. They didn't, they only got a field goal. They couldn't come back and get the touchdown. But if, I mean, ultimately you have to catch the ball, but are they overcomplicating a catch? Cause I feel like this has been building and it's just getting worse. Probably, but I don't think there's any going back. That's the thing. We we were down the rabbit hole of replay. You're not going to do away with it at this point. And it's you know it's so subjective because had the Pats won the game because of a play that was similar made by the Vikings, I'm sure that we'd be sitting there saying, "Thank God for replay, man." Otherwise, they might have lost that game. And you know, I think that's the tough part about looking at these situations. Now, yeah, is it overcomplicated? Probably. But I do feel like there's some pretty clear cut, clear cut criteria. Now, there are too many of them again, probably, but it's pretty black and white criteria. And it just leaves a lot of room for failure between catching the ball, possessing the ball, two feet in bounds, completing the catch. You know, you know, don't go to the ground and lose control of the ball, this and that. You know, I it's one of those deals we could sit there and dissect it for hours, I'm sure, and not come to what we think is a reasonable conclusion that couldn't have holes poked through it. But I, I think ultimately we're doing the right thing with reviewing, with replay and using the technology we have. Is it frustrating sometimes? Absolutely. I don't disagree. And I don't ever blame the refs really for my teams losing a game because I always feel like there's calls that go either way and it all evens itself out over the course of a season. But it's really, are we micro analyzing these players to the point that it's taking away from the beauty of the game? And that's the point that I'm trying to make here. And that's the issue is if you and I as fans watch the same play, I think it's a catch and you don't think it's a catch. Like it shouldn't be that way. It's it's one of those where it should feel a little bit more obvious. We've watched football for 30 something years as men now. I think we know what a goddamn catch is at this point, but the NFL has made me question that almost at every turn now. And it's really, really frustrating. And that's all that it was, is that I just wish that it was a little bit more cut and dry. And I feel like the more time that goes on, the less I know about football. And yet here we are in a football podcast. Yeah, it does seem like it's ever evolving a little bit, right? And there have been plenty of times, as you stated, where I watch a play and I'm like, oh, that's a catch. And then they'll review it and it's not. 
or I'll be like, no way, that's a catch. He's out of bounds. It's it's so obvious, and they review it. Oh, no, his right pinky toe uh, scraped inbounds before. I mean, it should almost be like, hey, if you can't see it with the naked eye, like, leave it alone. But just think about how many uh, records, you know, would be different if replay existed forever, right? Or how many games, how many outcomes of games would have turned out a little differently if, if replay has, had always existed. Ironically enough, it did exist for the tuck rule, and that's how we got here with Tom Brady and all that stuff. But last game on Thanksgiving, the Giants just couldn't get it done, even though they had a lead against the Cowboys. The rumor mill right now is swirling. Apparently, Odell Beckham is on the verge of signing with the Giants. Now, the Giants are on a two-game skid. I think they've finally come down to the mean. I think that they've overachieved with a very average roster. And I don't think Odell Beckham or the remains of Odell Beckham at this point are going to put them over the top. It's a feel-good story for the fans, I'm sure, because he had some electric years there. I just think that the Giants are done, and I don't think that Odell Beckham matters. I think he would do himself a better service to sign with another team that's playoff-bound like the Cowboys, who have a little bit more of a stability on the roster. Yeah, I haven't followed it super closely, but a lot of the things that I had seen up until a couple days ago seem to believe that he would end up in Dallas. Now, maybe that's changed here recently. Yeah, I don't know what he would bring to the Giants. It'd almost be like a sideshow a little bit. Now, I think in Dallas, he'd probably just fit right in because you know, it's just a circus and Jerry's the ringleader and he loves that kind of shit. But in New York, man, you got a young quarterback, a young running back, you know, new, a first year head coach. I, I just don't think it's a recipe for success where in Dallas, you have Mike McCarthy he's a veteran head coach. He's dealt with this sort of thing. And I, I just think it's a better fit. I, I don't think OBJ is the, the piece that's missing to the Giants playoff puzzle. No, I don't think so either. And I think at this point in his career, he may still feel that he's the guy. He's a complimentary piece now. And that's how the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. Remember that first half that he had in the Super Bowl was excellent. And then he had that horrific injury. I actually felt bad for him because he's never been an Antonio Brown to me, a guy that's just try so hard to make it that you can't like the guy. I think he has an ego. And I think a lot of professional players, especially guys at skill positions, have that kind of ego. But he's not that player anymore. That catch, you talked about being in bounds. Remember the catch from 2013? Greatest catch I've ever seen in my life. And you and I probably both would have watched that and thought, there's no way he kept himself in bounds. There's no way he made that catch. Thankfully, Replay said, yeah, he actually did. And it's the greatest catch we've ever seen. That's not him anymore. That's ancient at this point. And I just think that you're right. He needs to be thinking about a team that maybe he's a more complimentary piece. I think the Cowboys are more complete. They're relying on CeeDee Lamb. They don't need to rely on Odell Beckham. He can be there and be a distraction in terms of his play on the field and probably be pretty, pretty successful given the fact that he has a good quarterback, even though Dak has been kind of up and down this year. So something to watch for sure. Moving on to Sunday, the Baltimore Ravens. I, I'm going to make a claim here. And I think that the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the league, except for the fact that they can't seem to hold a lead. I don't know if you know this about the Ravens, but at this point, they have been up by double digits more times than they have been down this season. Their record is seven and four. And if you look at the four losses that they've had, they've blown huge leads in all of those games. Now, I don't know if you saw any of the football on Sunday, but the Jags showed some moxie. Trevor Lawrence is looking better and better. And they came back and had a great gutsy drive to almost tie the game. And then I love it. You're a three and seven team. Doug Peterson, go for two, go for the win. They get the two point conversion. And wouldn't you know it, Lamar and the Ravens get down to field goal range and kick a 67-yard field goal that misses by a yard, and they lose. They're 7-4. and four. After the game, fan on Twitter posted something about Lamar, and Lamar actually reacted to him to the point that his coach, John Harbaugh, Super Bowl-winning coach, said, hey, you got to stay away from that stuff. He has a lot on the line right now. He's trying to get paid. So every single game basically is a referendum on whether he should get paid. If you're the Ravens, are you a little bit hesitant because of that Twitter thing? Or is it a, hey, look, this is something you need to stay away from. We're definitely dedicated to you, but you just got to check your emotions at the door after a loss. No, it's absolutely concerning if I am the Ravens front office, because what's the number one quality that you need out of a quarterback at the NFL? Good judgment. And yeah, accountability, holding yourself accountable and to a high standard and reacting to, to fans on Twitter shows poor judgment for sure. And it shows that you maybe are lacking a little self-discipline to prevent yourself from reacting. I think that you, you sit there and you couple that with the fact that he is a running quarterback primarily and he likely, um, at least based off what we've seen traditionally, probably would have a 
short shelf life, I would be concerned. I don't think he's going to get a long-term deal. Now, if he gets a long-term deal, it's going to be very, very club-friendly. I could see him getting maybe a good deal money-wise. It's two, three years. Uh, but, you know, I, these guys want security. So I don't know. Um, I mean, I, are they in a position where they could franchise them? Maybe they do that. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think they've already kind of exhausted that, but I know that he was offered $250 million. But what makes Lamar Jackson so interesting is if you're a franchise and you're an owner, you're using an old archaic method to kind of evaluate him because we're used to evaluating quarterbacks a very traditional way. We're talking about touchdowns to interceptions. Did you know that he's 12th in the league in rushing? He's got like 800 yards rushing. It's insane. And so how do you properly value that? How do you look at it in terms of the market, which is what they always do. Every time a quarterback comes up, they want whatever the, uh, the last guy got plus a little bit of something. And that's usually how it works a lot of times when these big guys come up. Lamar Jackson comes up and they're trying to not pay him that because he does so much more. And here he is playing without an agent. Every game that he plays is a risk. He could lose a lot of money doing this. He should get paid a lot of money, but I think it's difficult to value that. I don't necessarily think that something like this prevents him from getting that money, but I do think that it does plant a little bit of a seed of doubt as to whether he is the guy that is going to represent the franchise. And whether that's fair or not, you are a representative of the franchise you sign with. And if you're the quarterback, you're like the CEO. You're the guy. And you have to represent a certain way. It's a private business. No, uh, th my question would be this. Where's he at in passing? I don't even know. I know that he's up there. If you're 12th in the league in rushing, maybe you say, well, I mean, what stops them from saying, well, hey, we're going to pay you then. We're going to pay you and treat you like a running back. I think that's the issue is that he wants to get paid as both. But are you performing the other duties of a quarterback, you know, are you in the top 15 in the league in passing? You know, what is yet yeah, interception to touchdown ratio is relevant. I'm not saying it should be the end all be all, you know, at the same time, though, I do think there's something to be said for archaic methods. Like you mentioned, when you said that the first thing that popped into my mind was the movie Moneyball when they're sitting in the room with all the old scouts. And he's like, you know, these guys are all going on about body type and things like this. And he's like, guys, you're sitting around talking about body types and if their girlfriends broke up with them and because they have no confidence and this and that, you know, it, it's just about numbers on a piece of paper. And we're not trying to replace, you know, these three players as they were, we're trying to replace their production. And we can do that a lot of different ways. You know, so I think when you look at it in a football perspective, you know, what what's the production like? I get he's a great rusher. There's nobody denies that. But is he doing the other things? Is he putting him, his team in a position to win consistently you know maybe the issues with the Ravens are more on the defensive side of the ball I haven't watched a lot of Ravens football this year no one denies the fact that Lamar Jackson is a dynamic athlete but is he a franchise quarterback that's always been the question and my brother-in-law always says that you really can't you can't compare him to the other quarterbacks in the league because he's there's no player like him there's really never been a player like him. I mean, the closest contemporaries, I would say Randall Cunningham, by the way, I watched a great highlight video of Randall Cunningham's career. Man, that guy could ball and he could ball all day long. It was insane. Mike Vick was kind of the same way without the accuracy. That's what I thought. I thought Vic. If you look at Vic's stat line throughout his career, the best years he had were the years he was more accurate. So he was both a running threat and a passing threat on a more consistent basis. Just to give you an idea, Lamar Jackson is tied for ninth in touchdowns, passing touchdowns. So he has 20 total, 17 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. So, I mean, if you're combining those stats, he's accounted for 20 touchdowns and seven interceptions, which is a pretty decent ratio. Passing yards is down, but the defense has given up a lot of yards in the in the fourth quarter and obviously the offense hasn't been able to produce in the fourth quarter so I don't think it's a purely Lamar issue it's definitely a Ravens issue but the more time that this goes on the more leads that they blow Lamar Jackson is in danger of not getting the kind of stability that you talked about a lot of players wanting no you're right and it's it's no different than any other negotiation I mean whether it's I'm sure you've negotiated for several things across, you know, whether professionally or personally, and everyone's always trying to poke holes in the other person's argument or their position, whatever it is. And that's what's going to happen here. The Ravens are going to sit there and basically try to point out every flaw that Lamar Jackson has uh, in an attempt to pay him as little as possible. And Lamar's going to hold out for as much as he can get because he wants security and he wants to be paid for what he feels like he's worth. And no one's saying that either one of them are wrong. It's just business, right? 
It is. It's not personal, but every married man listening to the show right now has been in a very hefty negotiation at one point in time in their marriage. And if you haven't, just wait. It's on the horizon. Okay, so the New York Jets, speaking of stability. So Mike White comes in. For everybody who's not paying attention, Mike White is not just some random white quarterback. He actually is the backup for the New York Jets. Comes in against the Bears. Now, to be fair, the Bears are starting Trevor Simeon, who had a hurt oblique. He was so... The great part about this man is before the game, the Bears said they were going to start Nathan Peterman. You remember him? Yes. Very bad. I think we can all agree. He's objectively a bad quarterback in the NFL. And they decided that, you know what? A hurt Trevor Simeon is better than a completely healthy Nathan Peterman. And the Jets go out there and just stop him in the Meadowlands. And Zach Wilson is on the sideline. I don't think he's ever coming off the sideline because that team responded to White Mike, as we like to call him in some of my private circles. And I think that after what we talked about last week, Zach Wilson's demeanor and his attitude needs to he needs to shift dramatically. And I think this offseason, he needs to win back that locker room. Well, that's not going to happen because he was standing on the sideline in a hoodie with his hood up, basically sulking and pouting like a child. And that just piggybacks on what we talked about last week with um, his lack of accountability. It's obvious that this guy has no idea how to be a pro in terms of leading a, leading a locker room and being a great teammate. You can't be that type of guy at the quarterback position. You can be that type of guy at wide receiver and get away with it. You can be that type of guy at cornerback and get away with it. You cannot be that guy at the quarterback position. Absolutely not. I think he has just signed his ticket as a career journeyman backup quarterback. Uh, somebody may take a flyer on him at some point in time. But for me personally, again, this might be some old man get off my lawn shit. But I have seen enough of Zach Wilson. Uh, especially as a human being. He's, no thank you. Pass. Hard pass. He's going to look so good in a Colts uniform one of these years. You know it, Oh, right? my God. I'll, I, dude, I'm telling you right now. I'll say it right here. That will be the last day. <laughs> that will be when my Colts fandom ends. If they sign Zach Wilson, it's over, man. It's over. I'll find a new team. I'm going to hold you to that because I can already t- I can already hear you selling me Zach Wilson. Let me tell you, man. He didn't get a fair shake in New York. No, not a chance. Zero chance. As Vince McMahon once used to say, no chance in hell. Okay, so how about the Broncos? I think they're going to be possibly in the market for a quarterback, but I don't want to talk about how bad Russ has been. I want to ask you a question. If you're evaluating this as a fan, do you think it's Russ or do you think it's mostly Nathaniel Hackett and they need to go back to the drawing board on coach and see if maybe that that's where the issue is? I actually kind of think it might be a combination of both. And if I'm the Broncos right now, I'm rethinking all of this because you cannot sit there and underperform at quarterback like Russ Wilson has and then think that it's all of a sudden just going to happen. It's Russ. It's absolutely Russ. And I think that if you're the Broncos, now I don't know if the guy will get the chance, but if you're the Broncos, you have to give Nathaniel Hackett a chance with somebody else other than Russell Wilson, a quarterback. Uh, It's become very apparent to me that Pete Carroll is a big part of the reason why the Seahawks were successful when Russ was there. Um, I heard something the other day on a podcast uh, and the guy was like, hey, man, I've been hesitant to say this because I wanted to get confirmation from more people because it seems so absurd. But he goes, I've heard from players. This guy was a former NFL player. Like Players on the team have told me that he's at the line of scrimmage calling audible Seahawks audibles, audibles that he called with the Seahawks, that nobody on the field for the Broncos even knows what the hell he's talking about. They have no idea what he's talking about. He's saying crazy shit, calling audibles that are not even in their system, in their playbook, nothing. I mean, just totally off the rails. I, I think Russ is 80% of the problem in Denver. Are you kidding me with that? That can't be true. That's serious. Now, I quote your source. That's the thing. I wish I should have sent it to you, man, because I was like, wow, this is big. I don't know. I mean, it seemed, (laughs) I feel like an idiot saying this. It seemed really legit, man. Like, it seemed like somebody, he was even hesitant to say it. He's like, I didn't want to say this. He's like, I had heard it, but I didn't want to even say it until I got some more confirmation. And guys in the locker room are telling this guy that Russ is out there going rogue, I guess. This is why you shouldn't drink whiskey and be on TikTok, man, because this is the kind of stuff you lose your ability to send it to me. You're just all over the place looking at these things. And then somehow you have great recollection. Yeah, randomly, right? I can't remember. It was TikTok. I'm certain it was TikTok where I saw it. Uh, I, I can't remember where where I was or what I was doing because it seems like totally the type of thing that I would send you. Maybe it just came to me in a dream last night. I just made it up here right now. But I, I'm almost certain. I mean, I know for a fact I watched it. I definitely watched this. It seemed very credible uh, for what it was. So maybe after the show, 
you have to do a little a little searching on the uh, interwebs and see if you can find it. I don't know. I'm kind of a big fan of being recklessly speculative on all these things and just throwing things out there because all 30 people who listen to this, I'm sure somebody's going to take yeah, that and run with it. It's good for the show. Hell yeah. That's right. So before we get to the NCAA, because we need to open up on that, uh, Dolphins and Eagles, I think they're the most consistent teams in the league right now. They got some matchups coming up, but the Eagles seem to, they're actually good. I, I think I can actually say that now. I think I'm, I'm done pissing off Philadelphia. The Eagles are good. It's a matter of how good are they and how much of a runway do they have in the playoffs. But what's funny is the Dolphins are eight and three and they are under the radar because all these other teams are making all these headlines and the Dolphins just keep smashing players. I mean, smashing teams, smashing teams. It's actually kind of incredible. And I think Tua might be playing himself right into an MVP discussion. The Dolphins are fun to watch and they're fun to root for. Uh, Mike McDaniel, like I said, he looks like your junior high science teacher or something. Uh, He's a very likable uh, and relatable person. And I think it just adds some intrigue to to that team. I tell you what, man, the way that uh, Jalen Hurts put the Eagles like on his back on the game-winning drive to beat the Colts, I was impressed. And not that the Colts are world beaters because they're not, but I was like, this guy's different. Uh, you know, and we've seen those, right? We've all seen those drives, those two-minute drills, game-winning drives from some of these other quarterbacks over time. And the, one of the first few times you ever see it happen, you're like, okay, this there's something special about this guy. Like you said, for as much as I've crapped all over the, the Eagles, Jalen Hurts looked really, really good. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. The two teams we're talking about, we're talking about two guys from Alabama and one of which they benched to start the other guy. I mean, it's so crazy. Just a mat. I mean, just that talent right there alone between those two guys is, is so immense. And remember in the same locker room, they had Mac Jones sitting in there too. And I know Mac Jones is a mediocre quarterback right now, but at Alabama, obviously he was excellent. So Nick Saban, remember at one point, couldn't get any quarterbacks and was still winning national championships. And all of a sudden that just changed. And now he gets like all the dynamic quarterbacks. But I want to circle back the playoffs. You talked about Miami. Miami's only a half game out of the number one seed in the AFC. And if I told you that at the beginning of the season, you and I were a little bit skeptical because we did say, is Tyreek Hill that dynamic anymore? Does he have any juice left? He's having like a historic season. He's going to have like 2,000 yards. So, you know, I don't know. But I find it interesting because I think the AFC is so loaded. All of these teams that are within like a half game. So right now you have Kansas City, Miami, Tennessee, Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati, the Jets, the Patriots, and the Chargers. All of those teams have a winning record. And then sitting there at four and seven is the Colts. So they're out. So everybody else is out. That's the AFC. The AFC is packed. Interestingly enough, in the NFC, Eagles 10 and one, Vikings nine and two. And there's a really large chasm because the next division winner is San Francisco at seven and four somehow. And then the giant, I mean, excuse me, the Bucks at five and six are the four seed right now. So the NFC is just ridiculously wide open. The commanders, Riverboat Ron, I had a rant earlier in the season that I couldn't believe that Vegas said their win total was eight and a half and they're sitting at seven right now. So I feel real good about that. Don't bet on anything that I ever say. The AFC is definitely better to me than the NFC. And I think that if the Super Bowl winner comes out of the AFC, it could be legitimately five or six teams. You're right. The AFC is so deep and you wonder if just what it's going to take to get through that the, the playoffs in the AFC, that gauntlet of tough teams, if that's going to take, you know, take any gas out of the tank for whoever ends up in the Super Bowl. Uh, and that's maybe a little extreme of a thought considering these guys are professionals. They play great opponents every week. I don't know that that's going to be any different. But, you know, the NFC, you're right. Big drop off, you know, after the Eagles and the Vikings, you know, is a pretty significant drop off. And and what I keep thinking as I watch these games, these games every week is, you know, it's kind of like Alabama in the college football playoff. You're like, is Tom Brady going to find his way back into this thing and be relevant here at the end somehow? And it's it's intriguing, right? And I know we've buried him uh, and, and we've we've been pretty critical of the guy. But part of me seeing him kind of, you know, the the Bucks kind of down and out. Part of me is rooting for it a little bit. I think it brings some excitement to the the rest of the season if the Bucks can kind of go on a roll here and put themselves in a position to make a run. You're right. You could almost draw a name out of a hat, though, in the AFC to see who's going to uh, make the Super Bowl. Yeah, nothing would surprise me there. But moving on to something that has little intrigue, it has a little bit of intrigue, but we need to open up about the college football playoffs. So we have one week to go. We have been through this whole season. We've speculated here and there about teams that could be dark horses. And at this point, we have the final standings before the final standings. Georgia, number one. 
That's been pretty consistent all year, except when Tennessee was number one. Michigan, after their absolute beatdown of Ohio State, which, by the way, we both picked the Buckeyes, so we're doing well here. TCU, after their big upset loss to Iowa State this week, is number three, still undefeated. And then, much to your chagrin, USC is snuck up there at number four, 11 and one. They have a chance to win the Pac 12. Rounding it out, we have Ohio State, who just lost at 11 and one, and Alabama sneaking into the top six at 10 and two with a chance. So, Michigan, Ohio State kind of surprised me a little bit because it was on the road in Columbus and Ohio State just looked outmatched even though I think on paper they have the better roster. Jim Harbaugh seems to have found a little something against Ohio State and he's going to be employed at Michigan a long time if he keeps doing that. Yeah, and they did it without their best player, uh, Blake Corum, man, which is even more impressive. And yeah, they kind of battled. The first half was back and forth, and Michigan was trying to uh, just kind of stay in the game, it felt like. But I don't know what sort of halftime adjustments or what Harbaugh said to the boys, but uh, they came out in the second half, and they were a different football team, uh, which was really fun to watch. And you know, looking at the uh, playoff picture, you talked about USC sneaking up to number four with their win over Notre Dame. Caleb Williams is really good, man. I knew that offense was good. I knew he was talented, but my goodness, uh, Notre Dame could not get their hands on the guy. Um, I don't know how many times he scrambled around in the backfield. Uh, he'd, he'd be 20 yards in the backfield. And you're like, if we could just bring him down, it's a game changing play. It'd be like third and 15. And this guy's 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and somehow would manage to convert the first down. It was so frustrating. It's got to be even more frustrating as a player out there where you feel like you're doing damn near everything right. You can only cover for so long on the back end uh, if that guy's running around like crazy. And um, he made some serious plays, which was a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, Notre Dame's defense just couldn't contain him. And the offense, it was a little pedestrian on the Notre Dame side, which didn't help things. USC is going to be a force to be reckoned with, but I think they're not a given, man, because they got a rematch with Utah in the Pac-12 championship. And, and that's one of the little dominoes that has to fall to get Alabama back in this thing. I think if, if Utah upsets USC and if by chance TCU gets beat, here comes uh, Alabama uh, uh, right into right into the scene. And I think that um, I feel like, you know, Georgia and Michigan are solidified, um, even if somehow Michigan trips up against Purdue, which I don't expect to happen. Those two teams are probably pretty well solidified, even if for some reason they lose um, in their conference championship games. But ultimately, as much as I root for chaos, I don't think we're going to get it. We'll probably get the four teams that are there right now is probably what it'll ultimately shake out to be. The interesting part about this for me is that the committee has always said that their goal is to put the four best teams in the field, right? Like that's really what their goal is. And when you look at these six teams, In my mind, because Alabama has always been good, I default to, would Alabama beat Ohio State on a neutral field? Would Alabama beat USC on a neutral field? Would they beat TCU on a neutral field? And I think because of Alabama's pedigree, we automatically assume yes. They've had a lot of close games this year, and they really haven't had a lot of impressive wins, if you think about it. But because it's Saban, because of the the championships and because of the pedigree, I think they get a little bit of a pass here. But isn't it interesting how they've climbed back up a two-loss team? I think there are some things that could be interesting. If LSU ends up beating Georgia, I still think Georgia gets in. If Purdue beats Michigan, I know that you said they are solidified, but I do think that's tough because Purdue is not a ranked team, isn't particularly good, and I think that Michigan needs to take care of business against a team like that the way that they would against Rutgers or Nebraska or anything like that. And with the stakes being so high, I think a loss actually looks even worse. TCU obviously can't afford a loss and they have a tough game. And USC can't afford a loss because it's the Pac-12, right? And so you have Ohio State. So like if TCU or USC loses, Ohio State is going to get in. Like they're going to get in over Alabama because they only have one loss and it was to a team that's probably going to be the Big Ten champion, right? And so I think that Georgia is the only team right now that can afford a loss and still make it in. So do you think that uh, it would be a three, would it be a three loss or four? How many losses does LSU have right now? Is it three or four? They have three because they just lost this past weekend. Right, to A&M. So if they beat Georgia, do you got to put them in? Even with three losses? But that's the fundamental question, right? Because if they beat Georgia, Georgia still to me, for me, deserves to get in. So they're in. If Michigan wins, Michigan gets in. If TCU wins, they get in. Now the question becomes, do you leave the SEC champion out with three losses or do you put them in over a one-loss Pac-12 champion? 
You know what I mean? Because the Pac-12 yeah. is not very good. We saw Oregon make a climb. They blew a huge lead to Oregon State this week. And the Pac-12 with all these teams that have been good but not great, USC's record doesn't look as good. Notre Dame losing those games earlier in the year hurts their resume a little bit. And you have said the SEC champion needs to go in. Does LSU make it in as the SEC champion with three losses? Or would you put a two-loss Alabama non-SEC champion in? That's where I think the committee is going to have a tough time if LSU beats Georgia. I hope we find out. And if LSU beats Georgia, they're going to be the biggest Kansas State fans in America. Mm -hmm. Because that would make their decision really easy, right? If Kansas State beats TCU, that makes their life way easier. If LSU were to upset Georgia, because then you could have Georgia, Michigan, LSU, and well, probably then Ohio State, or no, Georgia, Michigan, LSU, USC, if USC wins back 12. So how pissed would you be if you're Ohio State and LSU fucking leapfrogs you? Who cares? <laughs> no, I don't care. Screw Ohio State. I don't care. It's just like how, I mean, gosh, you'd be furious. But it does bring up the question, as you've talked about, and this, is, this would be the first time that the SEC champion wasn't right on the cusp of making the playoff or in one of the playoff games, right? And last year, remember, Georgia beat Alabama. Alabama still snuck in anyway, and that was in the SEC title game. But I don't think that you can put in a legitimate three-loss team in here, even if they win the SEC. And so that is the one game that intrigues me the most because LSU has lost to some stupid teams. I can't believe they lost to Jimbo. I mean, come on. And then they've beaten some legitimately great teams like Ole Miss and Alabama. And I think that's the game to watch. I know that we're going to watch if TC you loses and all that stuff but none of the other games to me have the added bonus of if a team loses like georgia they're still going to make it in i just cannot see a scenario in which the committee leaves them out there's no way no you're uh you're probably right i would say i would say you're right i hope we find out man i, I really do i hope we find out i love chaos I root for chaos in these scenarios. Uh, I'm, I'm bummed that things are as clear as they are right now. I was hoping it'd be even messier, uh, but we still have a little meat on the bone for chaos, and I'm rooting for we it. We certainly do. And then after this coming week, we have what is the weekend of weekends in Army-Navy, and I just wanted to lay that egg a little bit. But did you see that Army's coming out in tank-inspired uniforms? I think that it's a wonderful thing. I always love the Army-Navy game, talking about it a little bit early, but it's a game that has literally no stakes, and there's not going to be a ton of publicity on it because we're all going to be worried about how the playoff has shaken out and all that. I just wanted to drop that there for you because I know you're a big fan of tradition. I love tradition. This is one of college football's best traditions, uh, the Army-Navy game. And it may not mean much to most people in the country, but it means a lot to those people participating in the game. And, and that's, I think, what really makes it so great is it means a lot to those two uh, institutions. And, um, and it, it even goes beyond just the schools themselves up through the entire actual United States Army, United States Navy. They take it very seriously. This is their Super Bowl and one of the great American football traditions. And my brother-in-law would tell you that Air Force won the Commander-in-Chief's trophy this year and nobody gives them any love. That sound means it is time for Coach's favorite segment of the week. It is crunch time. We have conference championships. We have the NFL, and it is time to get into it. Coach, are you ready? I'm ready. I love crunch time. Let's fire it up. All right. We're going to start off number 11, Utah, facing number four, USC, in a battle for the playoff for USC. Utah beat them last time in what was a great game that nobody saw because it was too late. USC has a lot to lose here. Utah is tough, though, and as your dad says, if they play at home, they're a different team. They're not at home. It's a neutral field give me the trojans yeah i think that uh what i saw this last saturday from usc was really impressive caleb williams is fantastic i will take the trojans number 10 kansas state and number three tcu this is a game that has huge ramifications for tcu they cannot afford a loss here kansas state is one of the most interesting stories this year because they kind of came out of nowhere i just think tcu has been teetering for the last couple of weeks Give me the Wildcats in an upset. You know what, Iceman? I'm feeling it too. I love the Wildcats against TCU. I think that the power brokers of college football are going to get what they want here. 
Number 14, LSU facing number one Georgia in the SEC title game. Last week, this was intriguing because LSU had a legitimate chance of making the playoff. Now they do not, or at least we don't think that they do. Georgia is probably in with a loss, but I just think that Georgia is playing with a chip on their shoulder. They are not going to lose this game. They're going to bury Brian Kelly. Go Bulldogs. Yeah, Brian Kelly's been Cinderella this year in the SEC, and mid midnight is about to strike. Give me the Bulldogs big. And Purdue faces number two Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Purdue is not really that good. Michigan is on a high after beating Ohio State. I think Michigan is going to win this game big. Yeah, I made the mistake of picking against Michigan last year in the Big Ten championship game, thinking they'd be coming off the high of the win against Ohio State. Not going to do that two years in a row. Give me the Wolverines. Switching to the NFL, the Buffalo Bills travel to New England to face the New England Patriots on Thursday night football. This is actually a good matchup on Thursday night football for once. The Bills are coming in with that amazing win in Detroit. The Patriots with that loss at the Vikings. The Bills, I think, are just way too talented. Give me the Bills by 10. I'm going to take a different Bill. He goes by the name of Belichick at home in Foxborough. I'll take the Patriots. Always jerking that guy off. The Green Bay Packers travel to Chicago where Aaron Rodgers famously said, I still fucking own you. Justin Fields may not play. If he doesn't, the Bears have absolutely no chance. But if he does, I think it's an intriguing matchup. I know we keep picking Rodgers, but I honestly think Rodgers still owns the Bears. Give me the Packers. Although this may be a quarterback matchup for the ages with Aaron Rodgers and uh, whatever Peterman his name is. But I think that uh, the Packers are going to handle this and Aaron Rodgers still fucking owns the Bears. The Washington Commanders traveling to the Meadowlands to face the New York Giants. Ironically, both of these teams in the playoffs right now, both of them need this win. The Giants need it more. Taylor Heineke is playing some really good football. I honestly think the Commanders are going to win and cement themselves even further in that division and in the playoffs. Give me the Commanders. You know, the fact that it's on the road and uh, I want to call it the Meadowlands, but I know it's MetLife Stadium. I tell you what, I think the Giants are going to bounce back this week. Give me Daniel Jones and the boys. The Tennessee Titans coming off their loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, traveling to Philadelphia to face the Eagles. The Eagles are just way too talented. The Titans really just do not have the firepower to keep up with them. They could keep it close. I don't see it, though. Give me the Eagles. Yeah, I'm coming around. I'm coming around with how good the Eagles are, and I think that it would be a very big mistake to pick against them this week, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a good choice for once, and I'll take the Eagles at home. For me, this is the game of the week. The Miami Dolphins traveled to San Francisco. Mike McDaniel facing his old coach and Kyle Shanahan to face the 49ers. The 49ers are 7-4. and four. I don't know how. They can't score more than 20 points. The Dolphins come in playing super consistent. This is the kind of game where if we're going to know if the Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl, they're going to have to win games like this. They're motivated. Two is going to throw for four touchdowns. Give me the Dolphins on the road. You know, I disagree with you on this one. I think this is the win that gets the 49ers in the public eye as far as an actual playoff contender, I'll take the Niners at home. And last, the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Cincinnati to face the Cincinnati Bengals. They lost here last year. They lost to them in the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs have not been world beaters. They've been winning very close games. Joe Burrow and the boys without Lamar Chase have actually been continuing to win football games. I like the Bengals here because of that home field advantage. Yeah, I think that uh, Joe sheisty has got it going there. Him and his receiver, Jamar Chase, um, even though he may not play if he does or doesn't, I don't think it's going to matter. I really like the Bengals and how they're playing right now. Give me some Cincinnati. And just a terrible, terrible, terrible faux pas on my part. I'm glad that you are here to correct me. Usually it's me doing that for you with Joe Girardi and Jake Herbert. And Lamar Chase is one of the best players in the NFL. Man, I'm sorry, Mr. Chase. I hope that you are not listening, but that is crunch time as always. It's always a fun segment. And coach, it is time to finish out this week with a little OTW.
OTW of the week, where we like to give a little bit of our personal flair to end the show. And as always, we start with the Iceman's stat of the week. Coach, we talked about the Michigan Wolverines and we talked about them beating Ohio State. These, This is what the world was like the last time that Michigan won in Columbus. It was November 18th of 2000. First of all, I was still in high school. Ryan Day was the starting quarterback at the University of New Hampshire and his offensive coordinator was Chip Kelly. Jim Harbaugh was playing for the San Diego Chargers and Tom Brady had not made his NFL debut yet. CJ Stroud also hadn't been born. He'd be born the next October. So it had been a while since the Michigan Wolverines had won in Columbus and the world was a lot different. Now that's a wonderful stat. And just to think of how long it's been and uh, how many times and how heated that rivalry has been. And it's been that long uh, since Michigan's managed to get a win at the horseshoe. It's just astonishing. But hey, Big Blue's back. Chip Kelly being the offensive coordinator at the University of New Hampshire is the craziest thing. I did not know that. That was something that I learned. And he has come a long way. Solid gold. Solid gold. My friends, that means it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Coming in, Coach is now a 4-5-2 and two record after picking Iowa State. Even though they were getting 10 points, he picked them straight up confidently over the TCU Horn Frogs, who won the game 62-14. to 14. Not only did TCU cover, it wasn't even close. So, Coach, you are now 4-5-2, and two, back on your losing ways. What is your pick of the week this week? <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. Fine listeners, loyal servants of the Iceman and Coach Show. Sometimes we have what they call a bad beat, and that's what we received last week. But we're going to turn things around this week, and I have my sights set on the MAC championship game. A lot of people like to frown on the MAC conference, but unless you've taken the time to take in what I like to call some MAC-tion, you don't know what you're missing. We have the Toledo Rockets against the Ohio, whatever they're called, some kind of cat, I think. But anyhow, Toledo's a two and a half point favorite in this game, and I will take them to cover. Give me the Toledo Rockets minus two and a half to secure the MAC championship. The Toledo Rockets over the Ohio, whatever cats. So let it be written. So let it be done. I really don't know what you consider a bad beat, but 62 to 14 is not a bad beat at all. That's just being dead wrong. Hey, man, that's just like your opinion and the words of the dude. But, you know, hey, we all take one on the chin once in a while. And I, I guess I've taken a few more than uh, than the average person this year. But, hey, if you're going to be bad, you might as well be great at being bad. To be fair, you've only lost five times out of 11 because you've tied and won four times. So you're actually not losing more often than you are losing. But I can't say anything today because I called him Lamar Chase. And that's just unforgivable well hey i am i am extraordinarily mediocre and that's okay man that's just a story of my life that's a story of the coach's life oh man what an episode man i cannot believe that i did that as i was saying it it sounded so good and then i could see you licking your chops waiting for the moment and that's usually my role i'm usually waiting for you to stop talking so i can somehow sarcastically come in with it but I don't even know. But you know what, man? We've reached the end of the episode. And honestly, this one flew by. I know I always say that, but a lot of times I'm waiting and watching for the clock. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, we are at the end. And it just shows that our chemistry keeps going up and the sports allow us to talk so fluidly about this. It's a lot of fun. No, absolutely. It's getting easier and easier and just more fun and more natural as we go. Really enjoyed it. It flew by again, like you said. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to uh, coming up here in the next couple of days, it's we're kind of getting into the uh, the beginning of college wrestling season. I'm a big fan and uh, no better way to kick it off for me than the Iowa Hawkeyes are taking on the Iowa State Cyclones in the Cyhawks series. And that's always a heated rivalry, no matter if it's, uh, you know, basketball, football, probably even volleyball or whatever other sports they play. But it's, it's got a little, little different flair to it when it involves, you know, physically putting your hands on another person and uh, settling it that way. And uh, it's always a heated 
uh, heated match. There will be 12,000 people there just super jacked about wrestling. And so I'm really looking forward to taking that in here this week and hope the Hawkeyes can come away with a big W. I would definitely love to learn a little bit more about that. I don't know a whole lot about the technical wrestling sport. And I know that you said University of Iowa. I believe it's like the program of programs when it comes to collegiate wrestling. So that would be cool. Maybe we can do a little bit of an aside. You can educate me and the listeners on what that is. But yeah, man, I know that football is coming to a close because it feels like the end of the season is very, very close. But I think if we've shown anything, there's a lot of sports to talk about. And I think that we will be in a good place to talk about sports well beyond football. And maybe we can even learn a thing or two each other. Before we get you out of here, please support the Pub Time Podcast. They are back recording on their normal schedule after the flood a couple of weeks ago. And they're always putting out really, really great content. Brad just actually recorded an episode before recording this. So he's been pulling double duty every Tuesday whenever we record. Please support the Matty Ice Media Network and all the podcasts that we have. If you want to get in touch with the show at Iceman and Coach on Twitter or at Matty Ice Freights is the handle at Pub Time Podcast, I believe is the handle on Twitter. And if you want to if you, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, we'd really appreciate a rating and a review because it keeps us popping on the charts and we'd love to be able to continue to bring you this fire content. So I hope that this finds you well, Brad. I hope that you had fun this week and I hope that you have a great rest of your week. To all the listeners, Ice Time Nation, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.